Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Cubs Corner. My name is Anthony Pasquale, and as always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill, located at 6169 North Northwest Highway on the northwest side of Chicago. Obviously not open yet to the public amidst this coronavirus crisis, but they are open for deliveries, uh, curbside delivery, as well as pickup. So make sure you guys get out to Coach's Bar and Grill and help them and other small businesses out during these tough times. But anyway, the MLB has staged a simulated tournament between each team's all-time team, and the Cubs and the White Sox both were eliminated, and the final is between the Cincinnati Reds and the New York Yankees. Today I'm joined by our White Sox insider Bob Fiorante, and we're going to break down the Cubs all-time team and the Sox all-time team and get to the bottom of which team is truly better. Thanks for coming on the show, Bob. Ed, thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate you keeping the sports world uh, engaged, alive here, and I'm uh, great to be. I'm happy to be a part of it. Obviously, this conversation might get a little bit dicey, but we'll do our best to uh, stay focused and uh, stay with the task at hand. I'll start by going over the Cubs roster. We'll start with the pitchers: Fergie Jenkins, Mordecai Brown, Greg Maddox. That's a pretty good one, two, three, if you ask me. And then John Lester, Kerry Wood, Jake Arrieta. Hippo Vaughn, Lee Smith, Bruce Suter, Pedro Strope, and Carlos Marmol. Instead of Carlos Marmol on the MLB's roster, I'm going to replace him with Mark Pryor. I know he had an injury-prone career, but his few seasons were absolutely dominant, so Pryor takes the place of Carlos Marmol for me. And then the starters at catcher, we've got Gabby Hartnett, first base Anthony Rizzo, second base Ryan Sandberg, third base Ron Santo, Shortstop Ernie Banks, left field Billy Williams, center field Hack Wilson, right field Andre Dawson, and since the Sox have a designated hitter, we're going to have one as well, and Sammy Sosa is going to be our DH. And then on the bench, we've got Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Mark Grace, Jody Davis, Frank Chance, Aramis Ramirez, and then just for good measure, I'm going to throw on Derek Lee. All right, and for the White Sox, uh, we're a little uh, thin at pitching as our best pitchers are close to 75, 80 years ago. So we got Mark Burley, Chris Sale, Billy Pierce, Ted Lyons, Ed Walsh, Red Faber. I'm going to replace Wilbur Wood with Matt Thornton, the flamethrowing lefty, Bobby Jenks, Bobby Thigpen, Hoyt Wilhelm, and Roberto Hernandez. And for our starters at catcher, we got the late, uh, the great Carlton Fisk. Then at first base, I'm going to flip-flop Frank Thomas and Paul Canerco. So I'm going to put Paul Canerco at first base. Nelly Fox at second. Robin Ventura at third. Luke Appling at shortstop. In uh, left field, I'm taking out Maglio Ordonez, sorry. And I'm going to put in um, the late, great shoeless Joe Jackson in left. In center, we got Minnie Minoso, Harold Baines, the newly uh, Hall of Famer in right. And Frank Thomas as our DH. And then on the bench, we got current star Jose Abreu, Louis Aparicio, Eddie Collins, Jermaine Dye, and A.J. Perzinski. All right, so there you have it. Both teams, all-time team, with a little bit of uh, spin from both Bob and I. I say we get right into a little position breakdown. We'll start with the catchers. Um, Cubs offer up Gabby Hartnett, um, six-time All-Star Hall of Famer. Did win an MVP, but I'm not sure how he compete with Carlton Fisk. Oh yeah, Carlton Fisk, no matter where he was, uh, 
He was a great catcher. He was a body back there, and he always played with this intensity that you just can't replace. So I like Carlton Fisk, and I even like our backup, A.J., but unfortunately he doesn't get in there because Carlton was so great. Yeah, although you know Fisk is remembered a lot for his time with the Red Sox, he actually spent more of his career with the White Sox and really lit it up both behind the plate and at the plate. So moving right on to first base, Cubs need to get back into it, and they offer up the current Mr. Cub, Anthony Rizzo, to take on Paul Konerko. Bob, I'll let you pitch yours first. Yeah, Paul Konerko, um, he was on the Hall of Fame ballot this year, unfortunately, did not get in, did not get enough votes to uh, remain on the ballot. However, that being said, it's always an honor even to get on the ballot at all. So he played 18 solid years, I'm pretty sure all with the White Sox, maybe not, but, um, or no, not all with the White Sox, but 16 years with the White Sox. Um, which is pretty solid. He was, he, he was what I remember him as, um, obviously he's on that World Series team, but he's, he was, he's always consistent. Um, he's a career like 280 hitter. Um, always, he was always clutch too. Um, he was a power hitter, but he could get you a double. He can get you a base hit when you need it. And he was a big RBI guy. It reminds me a lot of Jose Abreu. Um, always, always focused on that, getting that run in instead of, um, himself so if, it, if that meant a ground ball the second then he hit a ground ball the second you know he was just that guy that you wanted up there in the big spot yeah and and it's it's hard to argue against a guy like Paul Konerko but I'm gonna try with uh current Mr. Cub Anthony Rizzo he's just been a model of consistency over the last few years he's been in the league for nine eight with the Cubs obviously he had that rookie year with the Padres He's finished top 10 in MVP voting multiple times, a three-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove, um, and he's pretty much averaging 30 homers and 100 RBIs for an 162-game season. So obviously, Konerko has a little bit longer of a track record, but I think by the time it's all said and done, Rizzo will be the guy at first base. Yeah, you really can't go wrong either way there. I guess we can... uh, Call that one a draw here, so Sox still up by one. Second base, the Sox offer up Nellie Fox, and the Cubs offer up Hall of Famer Ryan Sandberg. I'll start off here. You know, you got the Hall of Fame. You've got the Gold Glove, many Gold Glove awards. He won the MVP in 84. Arguably the best defensive second baseman of all time, but he could sure hit. I say Rhino wins this one, no question. Yeah, Nelly Fox, um, he's more of a household name for White Sox fans than he is for the MLB. Um, I know we got his number retired. We got him uh, hanging up um, above home plate, his number. Um, But, yeah, Ryan Sandberg's probably got him. But either way, Nelly Fox, great player. Um, He hit for average more than he hit for power. Um, He was about a two eighty eight hitter. So, yeah, Ryan's probably got him beat. But for White Sox fans, they'll never, if you were alive for Nelly Fox, you'll never forget him. Um, If not, like me, you heard stories about him, and he's a great player, but Ryan's probably got him. And moving right on to third base, the Sox have former manager Robin Ventura at third. The Cubs offer up new Hall of Famer Ron Santo. I guess not that new. Got inducted in 2012. Um, I'll let you lead lead us off here, Bob. You know what? Um, I think I forgot to say it, but I don't love Robin Ventura in that spot. I would either put Joe Creedy in there, or um, I would love to put Yoan Moncada in there. Obviously, he's not done enough yet to put him in there, but I think he's going to be the best White Sox third baseman that I would probably <clears throat> I would probably put in there. 
So let's just say Joe Creedy's in there. I think he's got more to offer than uh, Robin Ventura. Um, he was also Mr. Consistent. He was, he's who I remember at third base. And um, as a third baseman, I remember him more for his defense. Great defensive third base, and nothing, nothing was getting up. Nothing was getting by him on um, there. But either way, Ron Santos probably got this one too. Yeah, Ron Santo had a great career with the Cubs and actually had his final season played on the other side of town with the White Sox. Not many people remember that, but he's a Hall of Famer, nine-time All-Star, five-time Gold Glove Award winner. And When I'm looking at his stats, one of the things that sticks out to me is that in 1965, he led the league with 164 games played, and I don't know how that happened. Yeah, that is pretty crazy. Ron Santo was a uh, fantastic player. Yeah, always uh, right around 30 bombs and 100 RBIs. I think his 162-game uh, average for his career is 25 and 96. He was kind of overshadowed by you know the Mike Schmitz of the world during his playing career, but nonetheless really took control of Chicago and I think takes this battle in the position battle of third base. And we'll move right on to shortstop, another tough one for the White Sox to win as the Cubs offer best player of all time in their franchise, Ernie Banks, Mr. Cub, the first African-American player to ever play for the Cubs, over 500 home runs, thousands of RBIs, and just the attitude, I think, is what separates Ernie from the rest. He's uh, he's the guy for Chicago against Louis, or excuse me, Luke Appling. I, I like Luke Appling, though. It's, I, he's not... Also, because he played a long time ago, he's not one of the most known players in the MLB. Seven-time All-Star, um, 20 great seasons with the White Sox. Actually took a season off in 1944 to, to fight for our country in World War II. Um, but either way, uh, one year, I'm pretty sure it was uh, 1936, he hit 388, pretty close to 400. Um, he's a high average hitter. Always, I'm pretty, he was close to 500 on on-base percentage that year, always in the 400s. And... Luke Appling's a fantastic player for the White Sox. Definitely our best shortstop thus far of all time. Um, no arguments there. And I, I like Luke Appling in their high average, um, over 1,100 RBIs. He, he kind of did everything. He um, hit for power once in a while, hit triples, hit doubles. He was a speed guy, stolen bases. So I like Luke Appling, but Ernie Banks obviously is uh, tough to compete with. Moving right along to the outfield, this is where it gets a little bit interesting. We'll start off with left field. The Sox have argu arguably their best player of all time in left field. However, there's a certain stigma about him. Bob, let's let's educate the Cubs corner listeners a little bit. Go ahead. Yeah, so that's why I think he, um, for MLB, they put him on the bench because of the scandal, the 1919 cheating scandal. Um, Shoeless Joe was actually not really a part of that even though he got banned he uh he was illiterate couldn't read couldn't write and um they said that he signed the paper saying he would take money but the mayor had no idea what he was signing it was like signing signing a foreign language because he couldn't read couldn't write they just said sign this and they threat they threatened him um so then he did and he was confused at the scandal because he, he had no idea what was going on he actually he had the whole the only home run of the World Series that they supposedly threw. Um, he had the highest average on the Sox. I, I don't know how you could argue that he threw the series. Either way, though, if that didn't happen, there's no doubt this man would be um, in left field for the White Sox and the best, 
probably the best player they ever had. Babe Ruth is quoted as saying that Shoeless Joe was the best hitter he ever saw, uh, best pure hitter. So I don't really know how you could argue with that. He hit for power, hit for RBIs. His arm was fantastic. Obviously, I never saw him play. Played around the 19-teens, um, but quoted people have said he's the best player they ever saw. Yeah, and for the Cubs, obviously tough to compete with Shoeless Joe. Um, but they do offer up one of their best players of all time in Billy Williams. He's a Hall of Famer, won the Rookie of the Year, won a batting title, six-time All-Star, hit over 400 homers in his career, a 290 average, almost 1,500 RBIs, so, and a 63.7 war. So Williams is a great opponent to Shoeless Joe Jackson, and I guess if you're Billy Williams, if you're going to lose to anybody, you want to lose to the guy that Babe Ruth thought was the best, so I guess we'll give the Sox the edge here. And we'll move right along into center field. Cubs offer up somebody not a lot of people are familiar with in Hack Wilson. The White Sox offer up Minnie Minoso, who's a little bit more well-known in Chicago. I'll let you pitch it first, Bob. Yeah, I wish I would have seen Minnie play. Um, obviously, he was beyond my time. Played in the 50s and 60s. Um, five or six All-Stars. for Six or seven All-Stars, actually, for him. Um, what I've heard... I know he's beloved, absolutely beloved by White Sox fans. 12 years in Chicago. Um, total, he had over 1,000 RBIs. Also a stolen base guy when he needed it. Um, hit around 300 his whole career. Average season, and he was very consistent as well. Average season was about 300. It's not like he had highs and lows. They were all around there. Um, so, uh, obviously a guy you want holding down center field. He, was, he had speed. Um, can't replace that. He had, uh, he had it all, but I just wish I would have seen him. And for the Cubs, they offer somebody who played in the 1930s and 1920s by the name of Hack Wilson. Um, he's in Major League's Hall of Fame, and, and that was all before they did All-Star Games or anything like that. But he finished in the MVP um, voting top 15 five times across his career. He ended his career with 244 homers, over 1,000 RBIs, and if you look back on the best individual seasons in history for a run producer, you probably think of Lou Gehrig or Babe Ruth or even a more recent Barry Bonds, but Hack Wilson drove in 191 runs in 1930, and that still stands as the most in a season. So this is obviously a very close battle, probably closer than a lot of people thought, but just because of the more recent and the more beloved Minnie Minosa is to the White Sox than Hack Wilson is to the Cubs, I think the White Sox get the edge in center field. Do you, do you know if that's his real name, Hack? Because if it is, that's an awesome baseball name. Um, on baseball reference, the profile is under Hack Wilson, but a little bit lower it says his full name is Lewis Robert Wilson. So that's actually kind of similar ah. to that prospect you guys have coming up whenever baseball starts. But as it, uh, as it stands in baseball lore, we'll, we'll refer to him as Hack. That's a pretty sweet nickname. Yeah, it is. And moving right along to right field, this is where I did a little flop between Sosa and Andre Dawson. I've got Andre Dawson in right. You've got Harold Baines, new Hall of Famer. I'll pitch Dawson first. Um, I think one of the things that sticks out to me from Dawson is the fact that he's the first player ever to win MVP on a last-place team, and he did that for the Cubs in 1987. Obviously, that's like Mike Trout's thing these days. I don't know if he's ever finished actually in last place, but obviously not a playoff team. But nonetheless, Dawson homered 438 times. He had a 280 average, 
over 1,500 RBIs, but he also stole a lot of bases in 314, 64.8 war. He was just the, and he had some gold gloves in his career, eight of them to be exact, to go along with eight All-Stars. He's just the, uh, exactly what you think about when you think of the five-tool player. He was actually one of the first ones to be described as that in the 1980s. So Andre Dawson, a really strong contender for the Cubs in right field. Yeah, and then we got Harold Baines, like you said, new Hall of Famer. I think well-deserving. White Sox fans think well-deserving. Um, it, it, it brings up the debate, would you rather have a guy really shine for about five to seven years or a guy be above average, really good player, but not a superstar level, I guess, just not like an elite Mike Trout type player. For But Harold Baines did it for about 20, 22 years until he was about 42 years old, so... Um, I like him. He's a six or seven time all-star, five or six maybe. Um, a lot of that was with the White Sox, 14 solid years. And another consistent guy, almost 1,700 RBIs in his career. Um, he, would, he I remember him as a DH from what I've seen, but he also played a little bit of right field, like you said. So either way, you could have thrown him in either place. Um, he, was a, he could hit for if you needed a single. He was kind of like a Paul Canerco type of guy. Um, but probably more of just a pure hitter than that, I would say. So that's what I think about Harold Baines. So who gets the edge here? Uh, if I had to pick, I'm taking Harold Baines. Um, I like the new Hall of Famer. I like the long, extended 22 years of above-average, solid baseball. You can count on, count on him every day. And if I'm trying to decide here, I'm taking Dawson. So what should we use as a tiebreaker? Career war or something? Yeah, I'm going to lose that, but if you want to use that, we can. Andre's is 64.8. Yeah, his is 39, so. So I guess we'll give Dawson the edge here. Obviously, war isn't the only stat to distinguish between players, but I figured just for this, it might be the easiest one to use. And yeah, it's, it's probably, it's most comprehensive. You could You could use it if you need it. And we'll move on to designated hitter. We both did a little flop here. For me, I've got Sammy Sosa. And for you, it's Frank Thomas. I got a funny feeling, despite Cubs fans' love for Sammy Sosa, I'm going to lose this one. I'll pitch Sammy first. Got the MVP, six-time Silver Slugger, seven-time All-Star. And he's one of the only players in history to have over 600 home runs to go along with almost 2,000 RBIs. But he also had a rocket of an arm and stole over 230 bases in his career. But he's known for the home run chases in 98, 99, and and 2000. He had three seasons of 60-plus home runs, and he actually didn't lead the league in homers in any of those years. He lost to Mark Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds, but the funny thing about all three of them is they're involved in the the whole PED era. Um, Sosa actually never was proven to do steroids, only got proved that he corked his bat, and that happened because he broke his bat in the middle of the game. Obviously, that was a big Tried issue. To pick it up. Um, but never actually got proven for cheating in terms of steroids, but he still has that stigma around him. However, I think that that was the best thing to happen to the game of baseball coming off the strike in, uh, I believe, 96, I think the strike was. They needed to get back into... Uh, um, having baseball be loved and appreciated, and I think these guys kind of bit the bullet. They hit their homers, everybody got back into the game, and, and their legacy got tarnished for it. 
Obviously, I'm not saying I condone cheating, but I think it helped the game of baseball. Either way, though, Sammy had a great career, no matter how you look at it, but it, it may not match up to that of Frank Thomas. Yeah, Frank Thomas, Frank the Tank, also a Hall of Famer in recent years. Um, I, I don't know how you could compete with him. He was clean his whole life. There was no cork in the bat for Frank. And uh, back-to-back MVPs, five-time All-Star, 19 fantastic seasons, 20 fantastic seasons, 16 with the White Sox. Um, I, I, I just I don't know how you compete with this guy. His arms were ginormous. Um, over 500 home runs. 1,700 RBIs, Frank the Tank, 74 career war, um, 301 career batting average. You don't consider Frank as a guy who gets you base hits, a guy who uh, you consider him as a power hitter who just hit home runs, but he wasn't. He was also just a pure, pure hitter. Um, one of the best hitters, obviously, in White Sox history. One of the best, I think one of the best hitters in MLB history, pure hitters. Um, just watching him as a White Sox fan, you just knew something good was going to happen, especially those two, that, that back-to-back MVP years was just, it was something special to watch, and I, I, I'm taking Frank Thomas as my DH. That's why I put him there. I remember him more as a DH. Um, just a pure hitter, more than a pure fielder, so that's why I put him at DH. Yeah, and there's two things that really stick out to me about Thomas. Um, recently, MLB Network, I think, did a graphic of Thomas's first nine seasons compared to Trout's, and Thomas's numbers were actually better, more homers, more RBIs, and a better average, which is something that you don't necessarily think about. He won a batting title in uh, 1997, and the thing that really sticks out is he was having this type of production amidst the PED era, and he never, like you said, he was always clean. He never got involved in it. He was always the first guy to say, yeah, test everybody, test me. I don't care. I'm just going to keep hitting. Mm-hmm. So great uh, great career from Frank Thomas. If Sammy Sosa is going to lose to somebody it's good that it's a guy like Frank Thomas. And now we're going to move on and just break down the bench a little bit for both squads. I personally like to give the edge to the Cubs here. They've got Chris Bryant and his uh, MVP, Rookie of the Year, and all of his type of uh, awards thus far in his career. The um, success of Javier Baez, obviously he's still young. And uh, I'll only highlight a third more on the bench and Mark Grace and in the 90s with so many good hitters and so many of them cheating, Mark Grace was actually the one who had the most hits in the decade. So those three guys on the bench are going to plug into that lineup very nicely when needed. Yeah, for the White Sox bench, um, it's not it's not great. Um, it's not like, I don't know what I'd say about him. I, obviously, I'm going to highlight Jose Abreu. He reminds me actually a lot of Paul Canerco. Um Jose Abreu, I think, I think in the last 20 years, having those two at first base just holds the fort down. They're consistent players. They're guys you know are going to be there for you. And they're guys you want up with a guy on third. You need that run to come in. Jose's that guy. He's very selfless. He takes it to right field. You need him to take it to right field. He doesn't care all that much about personal stats, about batting average. He wants the team to win. He wants to stay in one place. Um, and he's a great role model. Yohan said he completely changed his swing. So in the clubhouse, can't replace that kind of a guy. Um, besides him, I'm going to take Eddie Collins, very old player again. Um, she was Joe's best friend or a really close friend. He was Eddie Collins was a guy that was kind of not in the scandal also. Um, he was a shortstop and base type of guy back in the day, the 19-teens. So there's not too much tape on him, not too much film, but... Um, Shoeless Joe always talked high of him, so I'm going to talk high of him. 
And then finally, you could either put Jermaine Dye or AJ in there. I don't know who I like better. I kind of like AJ. Now, um, I'll take Jermaine Dye just because he had that one big hit um, in the World <laughs> Series. He had a clutch hit up the middle to uh, essentially seal the World Series, take that one one nothing lead, and then seal the deal. So I, I'll always remember Jermaine Dye for that. Um, you know what I'll say about him is like, He's got, you remember specific moments more than you remember like the full career um, down the road. So I, I personally like having a guy like that. But either way, I don't know how our bench competes, compares, but like I remember these guys fondly. Yeah, they're, they're obviously great players in Sox history, but like you said, I think the Cubs get the edge with the bench. And before we wrap up, let's break down the pitching staff. Um, obviously, like we mentioned, a lot of guys on this staff, but – I'll just go through just a couple of them. They've got arguably the best pure pitcher of all time in Greg Maddox for the Cubs, one of the most durable of all time with Fergie Jenkins, a guy who arguably had the best season ever in Jake Arrieta, and then closing games, you've got Lee Smith and Bruce Suter, both who rank in the top five, I believe, in saves of all time and truly dominated their era of closing games. Yeah, um, for our pitching staff, there's not like one guy that just stands out, stands out. Um, Mark Burley's probably, in my opinion, the best pitcher, at least modern pitcher we ever had. He was a 38th round draft pick, and he turned out to be a world champ. He turned out to be um, just a fantastic. But he reminds me of a much better version of like a like a Wade Miley. That's a bad comparison, but just like a he just doesn't throw the hardest. Um, obviously at the perfect game, the no hitter, he doesn't throw the hardest, but he's always in the zone. He's always around the zone. He knows what he, he knows where every pitch is going. And I think that's underrated. I think that's consistent and it's huge. So Mark Burley is probably the best pitcher I can remember that we've ever had. Um, Chris Sale, obviously, uh, got traded, but he's, he's a White Sox draft pick. Um, I'll always remember him great, but. He didn't really do much for the White Sox because he was on teams that were pretty bad. Um, and then after that, you got Ted Lyons, who's old, very old, but a, a great pitcher. Um, he always had his ERA around the twos. Um, you don't remember the guy very much, but he's also, I'm pretty sure his numbers retired. And the guy I threw in there was uh, Matt Thornton. Um, I remember Matt Thornton being a – when he was coming in out of the bullpen, you knew – it would that he was going to get the hold. Matt Thorne threw gas, as uh, Hawk would say, every strikeout. Ninety-eight, ninety-nine, consisted on that on that heater. Um, Matt Thornton was a he's a weapon out of that bullpen. He reminds me a little bit of Andrew Miller without the slider. Um, he didn't have a great slider, but he didn't really need it. That fastball got the job done. Yeah, and there's two things I just want to comment on what you said. I think what makes you know a Mark Burley and and for Cubs fans a guy that we would think of would be a Kyle Hendricks so great. Is, is just because they don't need to throw the heat. They just control the zone. And that's why I think like they both get those comparisons to Greg Maddox, who is the absolute best at doing that for both the Cubs and the Braves. And you mentioned Sale had a lot of great years but didn't do all that much because he was on a bad team. That was Fergie Jenkins for the majority of his career, and, and instead he was throwing like 20 complete games a year because that's how pitching was back then. So I think like you said... Cubs get the edge here in the bench and the pitching staff, but you take a look at the lineup and it's split four and four. Cubs with second base, 
third base, shortstop, and right field. Sox with catcher, left field, center field, and designated hitter. Obviously, the first base we called a draw between Rizzo and Konerko. Both are pretty similar players, always getting the job done. But as you look at it here, and you might not like to hear it, this gives the Cubs the edge all time. Yeah, whether or not it gives the Cubs the edge, it is what it is. <laughs> um, I'm taking my squad to battle. Um, I'll do it every time. Throw Mark Burley on there. Um, you only need one pitcher if we were playing a one-game thing. So I'll take my guys to battle. Obviously, the way we, we uh, shaped it up, it, it was kind of 4-4, four and four, and then whatever happened, happened. But um, all I know is I want my guys in a foxhole. Coach K. Yeah, and I'll attribute to our uh, high school baseball coach. I'll take my guys in the foxhole as well. But that'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Corner. Thank you, Bob, for coming on the show, and thank you all for listening. We hope we can provide a little entertainment and what is otherwise some uncertain times. Um, obviously, as I said before, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill. Make sure to check them out, and you can see this episode, past episodes, and future episodes on both Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and, of course, the Cubs HQ website. But for now, thank you all for coming to the Cubs Corner.